Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Welcome to How to Reform DOD's PPBE process. Please welcome our host, Frederico Bartels. Senior Policy Analyst for Defense Budgeting at the Heritage Foundation. Thank you. Uh, welcome to the Heritage Foundation and to today's event, How to Reform DOD's PPVE Process. My name is Fred Bartos, and I'm the Senior Policy Analyst for Defense Budget here at the Center for National Defense, and I'll be your MC for this morning. Our program today will discuss how the Department of Defense decides to budget resources and what the, pro the problems and the possible solutions of the planning, uh, programming, budgeting, and execution process. A process known around town as PPBE and intimately known by our panelists. Each of our panelists has worked in the process in different parts and in different perspectives, and thus will likely tackle the questions in different ways. The broader context for our conversation is that the Defense Authorization Bill for FY22 created a commission to reform PPBE. The commission has had its commissioners named and should hold its first meeting soon, if not this past week. Uh, if they haven't held it already. The Commission is set to brief Congress on its initial establishment activities during the summer and then present an interim report by spring 23 and a final report by fall 23. So the bulk of the work lies ahead of them. My hope is that our panelists will bend the learning curve for the Commission a little bit, or by a lot, I don't know. It, it, it depends on how well we do our job. Uh, first, let me introduce our three panelists. Uh, to my left, we have Dr. John Whitley. He last served as Acting Secretary of the United States Army. Before that, he was the Assistant Secretary of the Army for Financial Management and Comptroller, and also served as the Acting Director of Cost Assessment and Program Evaluation, a CAPE, for, for a period of time. Uh, interesting for today's conversation, Dr. Whitley served on the Military Compensation and Retirement Modernization Commission. That's a mouthful. So he can speak a bit about how commissions do their work as well. To his left, we have Dr. Bill Greenwald. He's currently a visiting fellow at AI and a co-founder of the Silicon Valley Defense Group. Dr. Greenwald has worked in industry, in Congress, and at the Department of Defense. One interesting note is that his doctorate dissertation focused on the impact of time in defense innovation, with a consideration of how the current system deals with innovation times and the access to the defense industrial base. To his left, we have Charlie Cook. He's currently with Deloitte, where he serves as a specialist executive in the area of national security. Charlie served as Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary of the Navy for Financial Management and Comptroller, and as an Assistant Deputy Commander for Programs and Resources with the Marines. He has been involved with DOD financial management for his whole career, and one interesting note on his background is that he served in leadership positions at the American Society of Military Comptrollers for the CDF members who might be in the audience like me. Uh, now that we know a little bit about e each other, my plan is to pepper this man with a few questions of my own for about 30 minutes or so, and then open up for questions from the audience, both who are joining us online and for a small audience here in the Allison Auditorium, for the, the real brave souls that came out here. So start submitting your questions online now, and we'll, and we'll judge to see how crazy they are, so we, we'll pick the, the craziest ones. Uh, and by crazy, I mean the most in-depth ones. Uh, first, I would like to, to start with just a, a broad question to set the tone. What is one problem with PPBE that the commission needs to address to be considered a success? What would be like the MVP or the, the lowest passing grade? Yep. 
Well, Fred, thank you. Thank you very much. And, um, uh, and thank you, Charlie uh, and Bill. It's great to be here. And thanks, everybody who's joining us. Uh, you know, there's several, I think, key challenges with the PPB system. And I think my panelists will talk uh, about others as well. So I will, I'll start with, with one that, was, uh, that I spent a lot of time uh, dealing with my last time in government. And that is uh, kind of the, the planning process, and in particular, the lack of, of a strategic analytic framework uh, to inform uh, the planning process. The planning process is is kind of one of the keys, particularly when you have a significant change in direction like we had uh, in 2018 with the National Defense Strategy, moving from uh, a two-decade focus on counterterrorism, counterinsurgency warfare, to realign uh, uh, back to, in some ways, uh, near-peer near -peer competitors like China and Russia. That, that, that has a lot of implications for the department. That has a lot of implications on, on capability requirements, on posture requirements, on force structure needs, uh, et cetera. And it's really the planning phase where you, you translate that enduring strategy into what, how do you prioritize programs, how do you build budgets. And, and that process is atrophied uh, uh, over a number of years, and, and we're seeing the implications of that now. Uh, it's four years post NDS, and there are a lot of key questions that we haven't answered to the level of rigor uh, that we need to to really uh, be making progress on near peer competitors. So I would say uh, that would be one area where a lot of progress could be made if the commission takes it on. Yeah, I'd be uh, just to follow up on that. Um, the, the, the need for speed and agility to compete against that near peer competitor, and that near peer competitor obviously is China. And uh, the, the, the key thing we, we have to look, look at from designing any process uh, is, is, is how it's going to work in, the, in that competitive field. And, and, and PPBE, along with a lot of our other management processes, are, are well optimized to compete against an older competitor that we used to have, the Soviet Union. And, um, and that's fine with, 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 with a, the competitor who is thinking in five-year plans and thinking in linear fashion thinking in a, in a centralized management structure. And frankly, we have kind of adopted that type of a structure. The Chinese may not uh, give us that uh, uh, benefit uh, and, and may start thinking in a different way. And, and, the, and the way they're do, using civil-military fusion, something similar to what we tried to do in acquisition reform called civil-military integration, uh, is, is, is critical. And, and so the, the test is, are new non-traditional companies able to innovate on behalf of the Department of Defense, and does the budget system, the resource allocation process, prevent that? And right now, I would say that is the case. Charlie? I, I think where the uh, biggest challenges lie for PPB reform, and the greatest opportunity, I should say, is with the execution side and accounting and reporting. Uh, having watched the system over 40 years evolve, it used to just be PPB, and then they added E uh, some 25 years ago. And I, I think, as we're finding with data analytics, uh, artificial intelligence, all that sort of stuff, there is a ton of information that carries through the entire system. I, I mean, all the way from the, the beginning part, the, the program elements that, that CAPE uses, and, and there are decades and decades of information for weapon systems and, and whatnot. And it, it starts to break down uh, really kind of in, in the, the transfer to programming phase where they, they run into resource constraints and then the budgeting phase where you get just the uh, detail at, at the smallest level and, and it's, it starts to separate itself from the whole, if you will. 
But you go through executed accounting reporting and there's just so much information available that does not come back into the beginning of the process to help inform, gee, we used to think this way, but the data actually shows us something else to, to find ways to, to really, it, it's all about trade-offs. There's never enough money. And so how do you make um, the least bad decision of, of that day, if you will? Uh, because it's always about managing risk. That, yep. The whole enterprise risk management, I think, is the emerging um, approach to how we, we serve the nation and, and how we, we keep uh, ourselves effective in, in defense. Go. Yeah, those are very good points, but and there are a lot of threads that are, that, that I want to pull. But before that, uh, I, I, I have a question that is highly directed at Bill on what is PPB currently constructed and well suited for? Because you, you talked a little bit about the, the problems that, that you had and uh, working on the, those five-year cycle and implements. Is there any part of the system that can and should be preserved? Uh, I thought I would just start with you since you, you seem to have the stronger opinion on that. Yeah, I think anything that truly can be predicted is, is, is and I think that's something that the commission is going to have to look at. Uh, there, there are certain things that, yeah, it doesn't really change a lot. Certain things that, if you are wrong in your predictions, it's not going to have grave national security implications. And I think that is the p pot of money that you probably should put put over there and and uh, and address. Uh, the, the, the key issues are what is not predictive, and unfortunately, a lot of innovation is not predictive. Our what our adversary does is not predictive. Um, and, and, and that's the, the areas where we have to kind of figure out how to uh, worry about in-year execution or how to address the, uh, the changes in technology and, and essentially how to basically be okay with a lot of failure in the innovation process because that's what innovation is all about. You know, failing first and then, and then, and then ultimately succeeding. Do you want to touch on what PPB is good for, John? Oh, I'll touch on it uh, as well. I, I, I think Bill made some very good points, and I just add to that. You know, I think um, one of the things, and, and the commission may may wrestle with this, and may be able to may change names, may be able to change timing and sequencing and things like that. But I think the broad structure of you start with enduring strategy. And then you try to translate that into capability needs, force structure needs, posture needs. And then you try to translate that into programmatic priorities. And then you build out a budget uh, to fund those programs. I suspect uh, most of that will stay intact. Uh, and I think that stays intact for two reasons. One is it's a logical flow. And, and to Bill's point, you have to figure out where, what that's suited for and what that's not, et cetera. And so I think there'll be a lot of nuance in there. But I think a second reason why that stays is you think about senior leadership decision-making in the Department of Defense, and it's always easy for people outside the Department of Defense to say, well, make this decision, make that decision. Making decisions at the senior leadership levels of the Department of Defense is incredibly hard. Uh, you not only don't always know what the right answer is and what the, the consequences and the implications of a decision are, but you also have to deal with the competing interests and the competing uh, challenges and stakeholder groups, uh, both within and outside of the department. And what breaking decisions up into pieces and saying, let's set a strategic direction 
then let's let people mull over that for a little while and get some feedback and let me take the pulse of, of the department and, and Congress and figure out where people are. And then translating that into another round of decisions which are kind of more detailed and a little more specific and then getting, letting that, letting some analysis be done, letting people chew on that. I think that's, uh, uh, that's one of the things that actually enables a secretary to make tough decisions. Um, and so I suspect that's uh, something that's gonna stay. And I might want to just put on the table that uh, uh, PPBE is a, is a system that gives uh, great fidelity uh, to congressional pork barreling. And frankly, we might as well get that on the table and basically say that, you know, you do get buy-in in that respect. Prediction is good if you want to ensure that money is flowing to your district or state. And, and that is one is, a, is, a, is an underpinning of, 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 the, of the budget and keeping it moving forward, but it's also one of its most uh, uh, intractable problems if we want to actually get to some kind of flexibility and speed and agility. A little contrarian there on, on leading to congressional uh, pork barreling because I don't think people realize, well, how much pork barreling has the executive branch done? In presenting the budget to Congress, so it it, it permeates. But I, I, I'm going to still listen Churchill here for a minute. You know, PPBE is the worst form of resource allocation, except for all the rest. I mean, it's there. It's hard. What I find frustrating, and, and I, having come up through the ranks, I've, I've been you know ditch digger, ditch digger, ditch digger to finally you know foreman and all that sort of <laughs> stuff because my knees ache and back doesn't work anymore. But it is, I think. The bones of structure of PPB are very, very strong. I mean, in fact, it's been around for you know 60 plus years, almost 70 years now. It is the process itself. I think gets abused from time to time. And it, but we're designed like that. I mean, if, if the president decides I'm not making my budget decisions until after Christmas, well, that's going to roll down to OMB and it's going to roll down to PPB. And it, there's just a lot of um, chaos along the way. I mean, there's some chaos built in, just the pressurization of, of lack of enough resources to do everything you need to do. Uh, in, inside, especially as an OSD comptroller, we used to joke about that. You know, they spend a year and a half, you know, fine-tuning uh, the, the program. It, it's it, it's a beautiful ice sculpture. And then in the last two weeks, we get these budget cuts from OMB, or what reductions, or we don't get what we want, and we're coming with a, with, with, with a sledgehammer. We just start whacking away at the beautiful ice structure that, that's going to, you know, save the world from itself. It, it, it's just a, a very difficult process to manage, and it, you know, as, as they touch on, it's confusing, and it takes a lot of leadership. It takes a lot of um, guts in the process, but there is uh, a lot of grind to the process that I I think needs to be addressed periodically, if you will. It gets chaotic and out of control. To be a contrarian to a contrarian. <laughs> um, I, I just would, you know, I think the commission has to ask this question, is if the system is so good, why is it not uh, uh, be found anywhere else in the world? In other words, you know, do we see it in the private sector? Do we see it in the actually the rest of uh, uh, civilian agencies? Why haven't they adopted it? Okay, why have, and, and, and why hasn't uh, a lot of countries out there adopted this wonderful uh, process? Now maybe, you know, the Department of Defense is a great organization and has the best budget process in the world, and, but you would think someone else would try to take these concepts of program budgeting, linearity, predictability, and drive them into their process to get, achieve uh, efficient resource allocation, and I just don't see it. And so I think the question is why is it important? 
question and, to ask. And you've got to look at the products of the process as well. It, it's not just how you get it, but what are you getting at the end of it. Um, on that note, since we started talking about the sledgehammer that is across the street from us, uh, many of the proposed reforms require Congress to give up some of its oversight power and appropriate and authorize in different ways. What should congressional oversight look like? And are there any confidence-building measures that DOD should do to help change congressional oversight? We can start with Bill. Since uh, well, I don't want to. <laughs> I mean, trans transparency. In other words, the, the, it, the, you know, there should be real-time transparency in, uh, in data systems to the Congress. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that that's the, the, the you know, and, 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 and again, the Commission is going to have to look and, and work its way through what type of transparency is necessary to achieve the proper oversight for congressional staff and the congressional members. Uh, in exchange for any pots of flexibility that they may uh, recommend. And, you know, there's always been this uh, back and forth on information and information flow. And, and, and frankly, I, I think, you know, better information flow and, 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 and better, uh, uh, you know, data that, you know, everyone can access and we're all on the same sheet of, sheet of paper, I think it would, would be a, a great first start. And I know it, the department's tried to do that in the past, and it's never, you know, never quite achieved that that level of uh, transparency and in, in real time data. John, would you have been comfortable with real time data transparency? I, mean, I think that's something the commission should look at. I don't know what the right answer is. I think that's something that the the commission should definitely look at and uh, weigh the pros and cons. Charlie, any thoughts? Yeah, I, I've struggled with how to solve these things with from my own perspective. One of the things is. You have to respect how things are established. And one of them, just Congress's role, they have the power of the pen. And whatever reforms come forward, you have to respect that uh, power that they have and, and their role and responsibility to do that. And, and sometimes we, we come with these brilliant ideas and they, they serve ourselves, but it violates you know, an institutional prerogative that has been yeah. built into the Constitution, quite frankly. And so as this commission goes forward, where we'll... Uh, succeed the most is it, it, it takes those challenges of you know where's the flexibility of uh, the executive branch to respond to crises uh, but at the same time you, you don't take away prerogatives uh, that are long-standing and, and institutionalized and, and in law with the uh, uh, legislative branch to me that that's part of the this as it goes forward and I think we, we all agree violently this is a messy messy process but there are certain foundational pillars that you have to consider those as you go forward to try and improve the process. And I also think we have to, the commission has to, to look at who in Congress are, are we talking about? Because the Congress mm -hmm. is, we always say Congress, but, but you know, there's, there's the different committees, different uh, uh, houses, there's staff and there's members. And, and transparency of data, for example, knowing how much money is left on the table that you're eventually going to give up is something I think the members would like to see, because frankly, you know, they have bled for these appropriations bills to actually give the department the ability to fund things in their district and states. And oh, by the way, we leave twenty billion or whatever on the table each year, you know, and and, and it just doesn't make any sense 
that that data isn't flowing out there and that the Congress is acting to either recolor that money or, or, or make it more flexible or whatever. But instead, it goes off and eventually is expired and eventually is canceled and the department never sees that purchasing power. You, you have two beautiful ice sculptures clashing against one another because if you ask the Hill, they probably spent their, their whole year also crafting a beautiful ice sculpture. Just the same way that the DOD has its own ice sculpture that it sends to the Hill, they, they get smashed. Uh, so I, I want to pull a thread that, that Charlie mentioned in the, in the beginning of his, his initial remarks, because there, there is a lot of disconnection between the different parts of the process, how it goes from planning to programming, from execution review connecting, how execution review feeds back into the planning. Uh, what type of connected tissue should there be developed and what is missing there? What should it look like? Is it just a matter of everyone working from the same type of data or is it a matter of having better workflows? Well, what's your impression? Let's start with you, Charlie. Oh boy. Um, as I think about it, just each phase has its own special uh, function. And it's almost like your children, they're all different. You love them all equally. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, managing them and, 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 you know, getting the family to work together is, is often a difficult thing to do. And what I find, as again, everything starts out, each phase, it, it's just, it, it's a dollar. And the dollar has not yet turned into an aircraft carrier or a marine, sailor, soldier, or airman. Uh, but it, it's a dollar. It starts and it transforms into whatever it's supposed to do, and it comes out at the end, and it's a dollar, and you need to bring it back in. But there's all these different phases. And what I find, by the time you get to accounting and reporting, everything is turned into a debit and a credit. It's mind-numbing. And, and I wouldn't want um, you know, the CNO, Chief of Staff of the Army, whoever, to turn into a CPA to understand the data. But, but there is, in that data, information that tells you about readiness. It's it's whether I have too much uh, stock, not enough ammunition, whatever it is that that points to indicators towards where risk lies in the institution. And so some of it's 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 a language thing. You know, they, they start speaking Latin in the beginning, and and by the time we get over to the end, it's a completely different language. And it it's we haven't found the ability to interpret that back. And so it's rel it's relevant. Not so much to a planner, but I, I, I mean, because that's that's very. Uh, it, it, I don't want, to, I don't want to denigrate and say it's it's conceptual, but they're they're dealing with world events and what may happen. But as it goes to the programmers and the budgeteers and, and to the accountants down the line, it, it loses its ability to communicate back. We have to figure out how to do that, uh, to, to bring it forward and make it relevant to do that. I'd add to, to Charlie. Charlie says it's a language thing. I've always been struck. Program evaluation is a word that to the vast majority of the public policy community means retrospective analysis of realized performance data. In DOD, it means a forward-looking simulation model of a future war fight. Uh, so it, it is a language thing, and, and I agree with, with everything Charlie said. I, would, you know, I had started with one of the big transitions, the ability to transition from strategy to programming. And that's uh, that's basically not happening right now, and that's a that's a big, serious challenge. And then I think Charlie hit the second big one, which is this ability to feedback data. I, I have an example that I use. I can use Cape examples because I'm a I'm a Capester myself, and so their feelings won't be hurt if I pick on them. Um, we were uh, the beginning of the COVID pandemic. And we had to make some really big programmatic decisions. We were one of them was about basic training, and do we shut down basic training? 
for an extended period of time or not. You're bringing people from all over the country together. You're putting them in close confinement. This is just a mess waiting to happen. But at the same time, we didn't know what was going to happen, right? Were our enemies going to uh, opportunistically use the COVID pandemic to cause problems? We couldn't take the readiness risk. You know? So we had to, to think about that. That was a tough problem. And so, so CAPE uh, got asked to do some analysis. What would be the impacts if we shut down basic training? And the program evaluation part of CAPE did what the program evaluation was. They built a simulation model consistent with the public health simulation models that were going on, that were being used at the time. Uh, did an excellent job. I mean, very quantitatively rigorous. Uh, they applied the mathematically, mathematics exactly correctly. Uh, and they came out and said a, a, an outbreak in basic training would be catastrophic. We'd had thousands of cases, uh, significant hospitalization, uh, and even a non-trivial amount of death. Uh, the problem with all that? We'd had two outbreaks in basic training already. Both had been stopped at 40 cases. Simulation analysis was completely disconnected to reality on the ground. Uh, I think that's, that's Charlie's point, and that's a big problem in the PPE system. I think we need more statisticians, econometricians in the key analytic offices. I think uh, ODNI, I don't know if this is the right answer or not, something the commission should look at. ODNI has a formal retrospective program evaluation process that feeds back in. I don't know if that's the right answer or not, but that should be looked at. Uh, it's a big problem. Yeah, I think the type of data, that's, that's, just, that's incredibly important. The type of data that you're looking at, you know, it, it, it can inform decision making, but you have to remember it, it's not going to predict it's, 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 and, 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 if, and if you continuously rely on things to be predictive, it's just not going to work out. And even cost estimation. I mean, cost estimation is a great, there's so many good cost estimators. And we've got a pretty good idea of how things are going. But where did, where did our cost estimators fail in, in, in the past? Something is something like SpaceX, all right? The cost estimators uh, basically took SpaceX and estimated, oh, uh, it was going to cost... 10 times what SpaceX delivered it for. Okay, that's, that's not, because if you're thinking that whatever SpaceX is gonna do or so the non-traditionals of the, of, the, of the future are gonna deliver capability and you're off by 10 times, that's a problem. Now, they did, to, to their credit, they did uh, estimate what it would cost if they, they operated under commercial capability, but they were still many, many times over what the actual thing is. So data is important, but we don't always have the data. We have to make decisions based on uh, what we have, and, 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 and that's actually hard. You'd have to take a risk. And if you're actually doing something new, you're not going to have the past performance to, to baseline your data against. Exactly. Um, and before we open up to questions from the audience, or one question on Bill's favorite topic, uh, speed. Uh, and I, I know that there are many areas where the process can be sped up or even have like reduced uh, elements to it that are redundant. Uh, where do you see the main challenges when it comes to speed? Is it a matter of just Congress appropriating faster, or is it a matter of taking away the instead of the programmers having, I don't know, six months, they have two months. Where would you go first for it? And I'll leave Bill last this time. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay, well, well, Bill's the expert here, so, so feel free to correct me uh, when we so. get there. I think, uh, you know, I think acquisition reform, I think, was outstanding. I think, you know, and then its implementation under Ellen Lord and David Norcott, I think, was outstanding. Uh, PPB reform, I think that's, you know, a great... Uh, an important topic. But what I would say to both of those is they are enablers. Neither one of them by themselves 
speeds are adoption of technologies. To, they can enable it, uh, they can allow us to do other things differently to enable it, but they don't do it by themselves. So what do you have to do to actually speed our adoption of technology? I think we have to change our business practices in a lot of key areas. I think as a service purchasing. So rather than design, uh, build, own, and operate, and be locked into one technology for 30 years, I think we rent it. Uh, and there's other renters in that market, and they're refreshing that technology in real time. And we've, by the way, we've just moved a, an acquisition from RDT and procurement to O&M. Mm -hmm. And we're able to get what we need at a particular time, and we're able to keep pace. You can't do that everywhere. Yeah. A second would be digital transformation. The idea of uh, I'm going to move more of the upstream processes of the product development lifecycle into the digital sphere. I'm going to think about uh, digital simulation models that allow me to run more iterations faster and less time. Gives me the ability to, to more customize the product to the needs of the customer, to the needs of the department uh, quicker. And then I can follow that with a digital thread uh, through to uh, digital manufacturing, robotic, uh, additive manufacturing, robotic uh, manufacturing, et cetera. So I think uh, we've got to change our business processes. Two examples would be as a service, purchasing and digital transformation. Um, yeah, I took that question from a, a process standpoint, not so much mm -hmm. as uh, John's of how do you get uh, innovation out there in, into the hands of people. And for me, and this is a kind of drawing on my accounting experience and trying to become auditable and, and all that sort of stuff, the things I find fascinating in the business process, and I guess it can spill over to PPBE, is two basic concepts inside the military are all present or accounted for and good order and discipline. And that does not exist in our business world. It, it, it's astounding that you, you can send a serviceman into battle and strong command and control, and they all know what to do, and they interact. You get to the business world, and I'm sure, Bill, you see that in acquisition more than anything else. It, it, it's chaos out there. It, it, it's, it's a wild, wild west. I think to some extent, um, just putting a little more discipline to respect the process and where you are in it. There will always be variations. Uh, but, but I've seen the, the example I, I've seen that I, to me is most memorable is early on in OEF, OIF, uh, it was really OIF, uh, the whole issue with explosively formed projectiles that were just you know shredding our ground vehicles and stuff like that, within two weeks, we had hundreds of million dollars on reprogramming actually to the Hill, and they acted within two weeks. And the consortium, how they all came together to, I think it was nine companies, to jointly build the MRAP vehicles to, to prevent all that. So the system, um, while it doesn't often behave nimbly, it can do that. So I, I, I think part of it is looking at what's in there and you know, honor it periodically to do that, because it, it can provide. Now, to you know, John's point about it, going to as a service, what I think would be a challenge there is because of the appropriate structure out there is you have your procurement accounts for aircraft and shipbuilding, and, you know, military construction, all that sort of stuff. And the way you read the appropriations language and O&M is almost an oh, by the way, it's if it's not funded somewhere else, put it into the, tr the trash can here <laughs> and pick stuff out. As, as the service comes more and more, you, you'll see the O&M accounts grow. And so it becomes more gray and, and, and obscure what's actually going on behind all that. And I think that's, you know, I think for the Hill, that, that would be a structural challenge of, well, how do I know all the resources were appropriate, 
appropriate or going in the right way or authorizing. So just to comment on that, I think I think yeah, buying things as a service, buying things, uh, you know, renting, leasing, and so on. But but you also remember we also have some budgetary rules that prevent doing that, uh, and, and those are hopefully things that the commission can be looking at uh, as far as budgetary scoring and the ability to incentivize and look at how uh, how things are being innovated. I mean, just even cloud right now, you know, is is, is, a, is buying as a service, and 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 you know, it would be a hard thing to to get through at some time. And I'm glad we finally figured it out. Um, the, the, the key thing is, is the, the way processes are in time. The crimes process is a two to three year process. The budget process is a two to three year process. The contracting process, if you're buying something over 25 million, is about a 22 year process. And of course the 5,000 acquisition process can go on for 25 years. And, and so the, the key thing to try to figure out if you're going to innovate fast is how can you create easy pass lanes around those, those processes. In M MTA, middle tier acquisition, we tried to do that in the requirements process and the 5,000 process and force things in the five year period. Um, in uh, probably what you're looking at in each innovation phase is a transition fund of some sort between early S&T to early experimentation and prototyping, to um, a large-scale operational prototyping and actually to production. Every one of those, there are like four or five different valleys of death out there. And every one of them has to kind of hold on unless you can plan perfectly and get it into the process is, 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 is a problem. And so therefore, you need some kind of flexible way to make those valley of death transitions. And that's more than likely a flexible pot of money. Or different colors of money. Um, so we'll go to questions from the audience now. Should we start with online ones? Go sure. ahead, Tom. You yeah, look we ready. Got some, we got some good ones coming in. I encourage our audience to keep sending them. The first one is from George Kovach. And uh, George, uh, Bill, gets to a question you were just talking about, and that is if the problem of the PPBE Commission is to actually bridge this valley of death, is that more of an acquisition problem than it is a PPBE problem? And and should the PPBE problem uh, commission be empowered to look over in the FAR and the 5000 series and fix things that they can see are just right over the next terrain feature, if that makes sense? No, it makes a lot of sense. And, and, and the reason why we should be focusing more on PPBE now is because the department has the tools now to uh, essentially, it has the easy pass lane in contracting and acquisition. And the two biggest tools are other transactions, which essentially allow a business relationship to be established outside of the FAR. And therefore, it just depends on how creative the Department of Defense is in, in, in doing that. And you can get those, those type of transactions on contract in a, an incredibly fast period of time. Or if the department chooses to, it can, take, it, it can be just as bad as the FAR. So you know, that's their option. Then they also have middle tier acquisition. Again, a way of, 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 of forcing the department to deploy something operationally capable or something like M NRAP, rapidly feel, fieldable, in a three to five year time frame. It also has rapid acquisition authorities and, and for zero to two years. So the acquisition point, if they really want to go fast, is, is, is there. The issue is, do they have the money to actually start it? And we've seen in middle tier, you have to wait three years to get a middle tier going. So now you're an eight-year process, not a five-year process. Uh, James McCarthy from Cyprus asks, he, you know, he, he brings up this point about PBBE. Um, if we want it to go faster, does that mean we have to sacrifice some degree of decision quality? You know, right now, PBBE has a ponderous amount of data that 
But if there's somebody saying, no, 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 you need to go faster services, you can only develop your program for two months, and OSD, you can only have a month with it, is that going to necessarily lead to less quality decisions? Well, I, I would just uh, say, you know, that's part of the trade space, and, and Bill talked about the trade space, and Charlie uh, talked about the trade space. Um, we've been pushing acquisition to take more risk and to try and, and accept more failures. Uh, they're reluctant to do so because they know the consequences of that down the road. So that's what the, the commission needs to try to figure out. Uh, if we go too far and we have a series of failures, Congress will will go back the other way. Uh, what the balance is 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 what uh, the commission has to wrestle with, and what the department wrestles with every day. First of all, I say, Jim McCarthy, that's an unfair question because you're an insider. Um, <laughs> the, you, you look at historically; it used to be reprogramming actions went to the Hill all the time. I, I mean, they were singular transactions, and and the Hill complained. And I want to say it was under Sean O'Keefe's uh, reign uh, in the early 90s, late 80s, that they agreed, okay, we'll do a monthly reprogramming transaction. And that became too hard. And then you went to the omnibus where it just gathers it all up. And in June, you send over this 100-page you know, document. And it, it is um, confusing. It's hard. And because, remember, interest items, they'll, they'll take off some of the sources. They'll prove all the pluses, take off some of the sources. And, of course, that drags on until... September 27th, September 28th, and it is just hard on uh, the, the people inside the Pentagon. You're going to get this list. First, it's going to be imbalanced. You're going to get a billion dollars approved and uh, you know, you know, only $500 million of sources. So then they have to sit down and figure out, okay, what's most important to the Air Force versus defense medical versus the other thing, and, and they parcel it all out. And so how it ends up, it, it's, yeah, it, it's, I sculpt again, it's, it's disfigured <laughs> as to what the intent was and, and the need you're addressing because this late in the year, now you're, you're shopping around, what can I execute in the last two weeks of the fiscal year, which may not be the highest priority. So, challenge. Gentlemen, thank you for being here. I'm J.V. Venable with the Heritage Foundation, and I loved your discussion on analysis, predictive analysis, and the likes. Um, leaders um, have a hard time bucking trends, bucking the idea of consensus, and then when you present them with tons and tons of data and then analysis on top of that, it becomes very challenging for them to go in an opposite direction. John, I'm interested in your uh, thought process, particularly uh, as the director of CAPE and, and uh, maybe someone who's going to be sitting at the helm of a large organization in DOD one of these days. What are your thoughts on predictive analysis? You use the example of the catastrophic nature of COVID, uh, the impact that that could have on basic training, and yet it didn't. I mean, it, ultimately it didn't. Could you talk about that and how you uh, might be able to buck that trend of, of, of in spite of all of the data, I'm going to go in a different direction? Yeah, so uh, a couple things. First, uh, uh, I was blessed when I was uh, the director of CAPE to have a secretary and a deputy secretary who were very quantitatively astute. So, so first off, there's a personality issue, right? How does how does a leader receive information, and you just have to make sure you're able to package and present the information uh, in the way uh, that they're ready to receive it. The second thing, so that's 
that's just the mechanics and, and the frictions of how you do the job on a day-to-day -day basis. The second part, though, is I think is you have to recognize that analysis, and particularly the types of analysis that a CAPE or, or any other type of organization in the Department of Defense do, is only one contributor to the decision. And, and we analysts, I'm, I'm an analyst by background, uh, we like to think that, that we, own, we own all, uh, all enlightenment and truth and that our models uh, give us uh, the definitive answer. And, and, and the truth, obviously, is not that. The world is incredibly complex. The model, by definition, abstracts from that complexity and isolates a specific pathway of cause and events uh, effects to model those out and to understand what they are. When you go and then present to the secretary, the deputy secretary of defense, uh, they're saying, well, that's great. Now I understand that isolated pathway. And there's about 10,000 additional pathways that could play out in the world. And I have to take into account all of them. So I have to think about what my forces that you're recommending for this problem, how would they play in a different situation? How would they play in a different uh, threat environment? Uh, how might it play out if the world goes differently than what your model uh, assumed? So. Uh, Really, it is understanding that analysis is a vitally important tool, but it is only a tool uh, and one contributor, among other things, to a decision. Let me add on kind of a philosophical debate I think that we probably need to start looking at, and that's the difference between the success of operations research in World War I with the Brits and World War II with the United States, and how these were near-term problems that we needed data and we could make uh, decisions on that and how that translated in the 50s and 60s to systems analysis and systems research and, and, and so on to try to predict things that frankly couldn't be predicted. And, and that whole intellectual mind space is, 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 is problematic. And PPBE is based on systems analysis. And PPBA is based on this, this linear predictive uh, uh, on reliance on data. And so let's, let's look in today's world. Today's world, innovation is coming from way outside where the department, the defense industry. And we have CAPE, who is, 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 is wonderful at what they do. But NDIA just did a really good report, and, and in there, if you, you, you read through that, is that CAPE, because it doesn't have data on how uh, uh, new Silicon Valley or new uh, uh, non-traditional com companies create and innovate, it can't make decisions on that. So therefore, it, it, it discriminates against that type of innovation, exactly the type of innovation that Chinese are now trying to bring into their systems. That's a real problem, and a real problem with data, and a real problem with the way our, our, our organizations look at data. Any thoughts, Charlie? I think they covered it. Oh, okay, perfect. It's fine. Uh, do you have okay. one? Okay, uh, I ahead. like this one. It's from Mark Solomons in DOD. He says, okay, got it all. So how do you recommend we reform the PPBE process? So I guess I'd be saying, what would be one thing that one of your panelists would say should change? I'll, just, I'll lead off. I think we actually hit it quite well here, right? I think the lack of strategic analysis to inform the planning process, the speed and agility of acquisition, and our ability to adopt technology and field technology at the speed of relevance, and our problems in execution with bringing back realized performance data to inform upstream decisions. I think those are the three biggest problems by far. And, and maybe uh, just a greater look at uh, mission and, and, and other portfolio uh, uh, accounts, therefore, that create more flexibility within those mission or portfolios. And I'll take the moderator's prerogative to ask one last question. 
which should be a very simple one. Uh, suppose that we are at the Christmas 23, and you see the, the, the work of the commission, and you think that that is completely off track. Uh, what would you say was the reason that made the commission derail the, the work, that derailed the work of the commission? I would say that one, they weren't bold enough in their large-scale strategic thinking, but then they weren't tactical and, 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 and actually went down and wrote the actionable changes that are necessary in law, regulation, and policy. I would echo that. I would, uh, I would think lack of energy to push it through would be very hard to do that because uh, it will take a lot to change the system. I go back to... Um, Peter Levine's article on why DOD reform is so hard, and he had 10 great reasons why. It, it, it's a big system. It's a huge institution. And if you're going to change it, it's going to take a lot of energy and focus to do that. And I think George Kovacs' question highlighted one uh, thread within the commission, the, the difference of point of view and, and definition of the problem from the acquisition community versus the resource allocation community. So I think the, the combination on the commission of, of folks from both communities mm -hmm. is a great potential strength. And if they do exactly what Bill just said, dig into the details and understand the details, I think they can make a lot of progress. Mm -hmm. if, they, if they don't come together like that and it becomes parochial and about the acquisition community getting more resources, I think uh, it would, uh, has the potential to not be as helpful as it could be. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, thank you all the panelists for joining me and thanks for the audience to, to joining me to, in this conversation. Thank all the questions that they were sent over. I think that this is a, a very important issue and the infrastructure behind how we make decisions in DOD will dictate how the military either stumbles along or thrives in, in an era of great power competition. Uh, you can read more about the issue at heritage.org and if you have any questions or just want to talk more about it, please reach out. My contact information is available at heritage.org. Thank you for listening, and thanks for all your questions.